Well, welcome to a very special episode of the Final Whistle Podcast. I'm Ben Kane, although my co-host Marvin Aguenta is not here today. We have a super special guest. Brad Feldman is joining us, the voice of the New England Revolution. Brad, how are you today? Very well. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Of course. Uh, so like I was talking to Brad a little bit about before, we're just kind of go uh, in-depth on the Revolution season so far. But first, I want to talk to you, Brad, about your career so far. So I did a little bit of research. So you started off in L.A., it looks like, on the production side, uh, and you eventually worked into broadcasting with Kansas City Wizards, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but then you moved to the Revs. You've been there for a long time. So how did that move to the Revs come about? So when I decided to try to get into sports uh, broadcasting on the uh, on-camera side of things, because I've been doing production and print journalism stuff for nearly a decade uh, before that out of college, um, I did the route where I went to a small market down in, um, I've been living in New York City, but I moved to uh, North Texas. And while I was there, uh, through you know really happenstance and uh, some people helping me out who you know really helped reroute my career in a positive way. Um, I was able to get a handful of games as a sideline reporter for uh, Kansas City, the Kansas City Wizards broadcast. Uh, they're now, of course, known as a sport in Kansas City, but mostly for away games in Dallas, a couple in the, in the Northeast. Um, and while I was doing that, in addition to working for my small station in Texas, uh, I realized that. There was a real opportunity at the time with Major League Soccer. Um, the reason I had gotten on the Kansas City telecast is that the uh, the Dallas Burn players, again now Dallas Burn, now known as uh, FC Dallas, had told uh, their the producer that they knew that I had a clue about soccer and that I was passionate about it. Uh, the first part, I, you know, I can't really say. I guess I, you know, there was a dearth of talent at the time. I was certainly passionate about it, and I, I put a lot of time into learning about the league, and I'd been a, a, a world soccer and European soccer fan going back to my childhood. I was really into the old NASL with the New England T-Men uh, in, in this area, and also my grandfather took me to see uh, Pelé play for the New York Cosmos. I lived briefly in Baltimore, which is, was a big soccer town, and I uh, had been a ball boy for the – or a ball boy for a, a, a Division Two national championship uh, team uh, down there. And so the passion around the game had been in me since I was young. Uh, and so then I decided to dedicate myself to when I had free time, learning to do play-by-play. -play. Uh, and I did that by using the, 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 the contacts that I'd made as a sideline reporter with Kansas City. We moved back, we being my wife and I, I moved back to the East Coast after a couple of, uh, of years in Texas and while I was doing that, there was about a two-year period where I just showed up at MLS stadiums, U.S. Open Cup games, probably not dissimilar to what you do as a, you know, a college broadcaster, but I didn't have a school to use as a platform. So I used my connections to build a demo tape. And then I just went all out contacting every team in the league. I showed up at MLS Cup, uh, you know, stalked, <laughs> stalked executives, wrote letters, sent tapes, sent, uh, you know, back then we didn't have YouTube links. Uh, it was, uh, you know, we were just starting to move to DVDs, but uh, you know, I was doing audio CDs and VHS tapes and, uh, you know, getting some DVDs burned as the early 2000s. And um, I got a couple of breaks when we started to move back from uh, upstate New York to the Boston area. We're both uh, 
the Revolution and the Boston Breakers, uh, the women's WUSA team, around the same time. Both gave me some fill-in opportunities, play-by-play radio, sideline TV for the for the Revolution, and uh, play-by-play on TV for the for the Breakers. And so a lot of that stuff happened all at once after you know a couple of years where I'd really just been trying to build my resume and annoying a lot of people until they <laughs> got back to me and hopefully gave me an opportunity. And then I was really fortunate that a lot of things opened up that summer of 2001, where I started really as a once a week uh, co-host with Adrian Healy, who's now the voice of Austin uh, FC and, and still on um, ESPN, one of my good friends in the business. Uh, we The revolution, we're doing five days a week of streaming podcasts and so forth. And, uh, um, then I got an opportunity to fill in, uh, like I said, as a radio announcer for uh, as both play-by-play and color with the likes of Butch Stearns, Mike Noonan, um, and Adrian. And then Adrian, John Meter Perel, Derek Ray, they were all sort of changing positions week to week on the television broadcast. And so before I knew it, by June of that season, I was getting opportunities to do that on a fill-in basis. I ended up being sidelined on TV for a handful of games, but all in, I probably did, I think it was like 16 out of their 32 games that year. And then the next year I became the full-time uh, radio analyst. And here I am now over, you know, 20 years later. You talk about over 20 years, so the rest have had ups and downs where they've made the MLS Cup finals as well as last year, winning the Sporter Shield for the first time. Um, but let's kind of talk about this season. So there are 13 games in. The Revs currently sit in 11th, uh, four spots off the playoffs. What are your thoughts so far on this season? Is there any player that's kind of stand out to you? Is there um, kind of something that they're doing well, maybe not too well? Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on the season so far? Well, I think it's certainly so far is, is they, they've underachieved relative to expectations. Uh, as you say, having, they didn't just win the Supporters' Shield. They set an all-time MLS record for points uh, gained in a season by, by a club. Um, and so even though they made an early exit from the playoffs last fall, I think a lot of people thought that they would carry on from that success with a lot of the same uh, players coming back. Uh, it's been a bit of, of uh, Murphy's law this year with the sort of the crazy own goals and uh, them, you know, getting knocked out of uh, the, the champions league. Uh, all that said, they've played some pretty good soccer for stretches. When you have Carlos Hill out there, the reigning MVP, uh, one of the best playmakers this league has ever seen, if not the best, um, and a really a more complete player than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, like he's he's the show. Like and their attack has, has been, you know, until they ran into a stingy a Philadelphia team a couple weekends ago, they've been scoring, you know, two goals or more per game. What's obviously uh, been underwhelming has been the defense, and it's not even that they've defended poorly. They've defended well for long stretches, but then make these calamitous mistakes that cost them points in the standings. If they could cut out those errors, you know, they could have six, eight, ten more points in the standings than they do right now. Um, I've also been encouraged by the wing play, you know, led by the fullbacks, Brandon By and and uh, and Dewan Jones. Uh, Adam Buxa has been banging the goals, but now uh, Gustavo Bo is back, and I think the hope is that you know, he'll pick up the mantle and, you know, he doesn't just score goals, he creates them too. So um, there have been, there's been a lot to like, but there's been a lot to be worried about as well. The Reds are still very much in the playoff uh, picture. 
because even though they are in an 11th place, they're just was four points out of the last playoff spot. Yeah, they're not too too far right now. So, so. that's the thing. There's so much parity in the middle of that east, the Eastern Conference that uh, I really think that they can eliminate these giveaways and defensive errors in key moments. Um, you know, if they if the breaks go their way and they play smart, uh, playing the same way in the attack as they played in the first third of the season, they could very well. You know, with a lot of conference games coming up, leverage themselves back into the mix for the playoffs. And then anything could happen, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it'll be also interesting to see what Georgie Petrovich does coming in for Matt Turner in goal. Uh, one of the games you brought up was the Philadelphia game, which was the Revs' last game before this international break. Um, so I've watched all the Revs' games. I've seen a player that came in this year, Omar Gonzalez, coming in, making a few mistakes. Um, but you haven't been too, too critical of him. So, what do you think, in a positive light, can Omar can still bring to this team as he's going to get more minutes under Bruce Arena? Well, like, to be br- brutally frank, like, it's not my job to be critical of him. And yes. Charlie, Charlie, you know, I, I, <laughs> if you go right, no, no, I'm not being flippant, but, um, you know, what, if you, I'm the play by play announcer, yeah. right? So I, I'll say a terrible giveaway or a bad mistake or the, the Reds' defense torn apart or less than down today, but it's, you know, it's for the writers and the pundits and the yeah, yeah. Twitter sphere. I, I've been pretty critical of Omar, to be fair, when I've been on shows like this one, and uh, Charlie has as well. We both like Omar very much. He's had a terrific career with the U.S. men's national team, won championships with the LA Galaxy and Pachuca down in Mexico. Uh, I covered Omar all the way back when he was with the University of Maryland when I did, did some college games for the old Fox Soccer Channel. So uh, I, I like Omar, but he's cost yeah. them points in the standings, no doubt about it. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, quite honestly, how you start Omar Gonzalez going forward if you're Bruce Arena. I give Bruce a lot of credit for loyalty to Omar. I think he has in his mind the best of what Omar can can be. Uh, but if he's that way for 88 minutes and then has two really bad minutes, it can cost you two points in the standings. That pass he made in the middle, that wasn't even a guy with like, you know, who's lost a step in terms of speed or has creaky hips. It's just a bad decision. Yeah. And, you know, I think what happens is when your legs go, then your, your mind goes. And, and that's not a pass that Omar would have made four or five years ago. So, you know, they've got John Bell in there. They just signed another, you know, uh, central defender from Revs to Henry Kessler. Hopefully he'll be healthy coming off the international break. Um, and, you know, they may be well be looking to add to the defensive core in the summer transfer window. I would not be shocked if they went and got some more talent. But, you know, you're starting – like Omar's only starting because uh, Kessler's been yeah. injured or ill. And, you know, you know Farrell and Kessler are your, are your first-choice starting backs. Uh, so one of the other players that the Revs now brought in as well uh, a few months ago was Dylan Barrero coming in for Tejan Buchanan. He went to Club Bruges. What does he bring to this team uh, in terms of maybe uh, – uh, sorry, excuse me. Uh, we see the Revs are missing a bit of pace and a bit of excitement. So what, how do you think he adds that to this team um, when you're having to send Tommy McNamara out to the wing, whereas Dylan Barrero can come in and kind of slot in there and bring something a little bit different? Yeah, I think you know, they played him in the Revs 2 game this week to get him more fitness. I think once he gets fully fit and adjusted to the speed of play, Barrera's going to be terrific. He is much more of an, an out-and-out winger than, than McNamara, who, by the way, has done very well when he's been in there for Polster as, as more of a number six. Uh, but, you know, I don't think Barrero is an exact analog for uh, for Tejan, 
I don't think, you know, A. Tejan was a good defender when he played at right back. He did very well. He also, yeah. during his couple of years with, with the Revolution, put on some bulk and some muscle and really started to bully people out there in a good way, you know, in the attack, on the dribble and possession. I haven't seen that from Barrero yet, but Barrero may have more of a burst of pace with the ball. You know, like he may, you know, uh, uh, Christian Pania uh, had a great burst of pace uh, with the ball, but he didn't have the close control. He didn't have tremendous skill once he got into the box. Barrero looks to me like he might be, you know, an, you know, more analogous in terms of his skill set and talent to his uh, fellow Colombian, uh, Luis Diaz for Liverpool. You know, just lanky, quick, uh, fast with the ball, willing to take on defenders, but skillful enough to control the ball in traffic and to uh, make accurate passes and, and crosses. You know, he hasn't really come good on the score sheet yet, but yeah. I think as the minutes start to pick up, I think he's going to be a really dynamic replacement for Tejan Buchanan, if not an exact replacement. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think you're one of the first people I've ever uh, heard speak about it where he's not that direct replacement for Tejan where someone's going to have to step in for Tejan, but it's kind of how I see it like the Cristiano Ronaldo situation a few years ago at Real where he left and then it was who's going to fill that slot, but there's not a direct replacement, so it's very interesting. Um, well, there's never a, there's a, it's not a video game, right? It, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. People, it's people, and every player's a little different in their skill set and abilities. Yeah. Um, so I got a Quinnipiac as well, um, and I've kind of co- been covering the Mac soccer for over two or three years. Uh, I kind of shifted over to Matt Turner for a second. Uh, he goes undrafted out of Fairfield to being 27, going to Arsenal. What are your expectations for him heading into the situation where he most likely will be that number two role right under Aaron Ramsdale? Well, first of all, like what a great story, right? A a guy who took up the sport late uh, and then bided his time, worked really hard, went out on loan to lower uh, league teams, played as the third stringer for the Revs, and now is, you know, odds on to be the number one for uh, the U.S. in the upcoming World Cup, moving to the Premier League, the richest league in the world for, uh, you know, uh, an historic club in in Arsenal. for a guy who, as you say, wasn't even drafted. Um, I'm really happy for Matt. Uh, he's a, a really top-class individual as well as a, a, a terrific player. Um, it's hard for me to know. You know, I don't watch Arsenal closely enough, but the stats yeah. I saw were that uh, Ramsdale, who was lights out for the first two-thirds of the season in the spring, his sort of uh, – Expected uh, goals against versus uh, goals against was down. His saves percentage was down. Some of it was that Arsenal, you know, who had a real surge there, you know, sort of coming around the the, the turn for the, into the home stretch, kind of faded down the home stretch. And so I think the defense in front of him wasn't wasn't great. So it may not. I don't. I don't know Ramsdale's performance well yeah. enough. He, he's obviously, you know, the preferred number one going in, but I think that you may see Matt Turner play in some Premier League games. It's not just going to be League Cup matches and, you know, Europa League type of situations. I could be wrong. Uh, Regardless, uh, it's a big stage for Matt. I think he's going to acquit himself well. He's going to represent the U.S. and MLS and the Revolution well. It's an opportunity for 
for Matt and his wife, you know, to bank some money. Like who knows when he'll make this kind of money again in his career. And, you know, for him to go to play for the team that he rooted for growing up and to be in London and be on the big stage like that, I think he'll do well. I don't, you know, he's, he's a grown up, right? I don't think he's going to be shaken or in- intimidated by the environment. Um, and hopefully when he does get in there, the breaks go his way. I think they will because he has, you know, that dynamic shot stopping ability that few goalkeepers in the world have. Um, so uh, one of me and Marvin's favorite things to do, I'm kind of shift gears a little bit here, is we love to talk about lineups, formations, who would be in our dream team. So I'm going to kind of ask you the same thing. You've been covering the Revs for a while. If you could choose a five-a-side team out of all the greatest Revs players that you've been, uh, you've seen or you've been covering, who would go in that team? I'll let you pick the formation as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, five-a-side doesn't leave me a lot of, a lot of room, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, I, you know, when we did the, when I voted for the all-time uh, best 11, I had to leave some guys out. Um, and I'm sure I, you know, you know, on short notice, uh, I'll, there will be some omissions. What I'll do is I'll give you my, I'll give you my, my, my five. Okay. And then I will, I'll tell you the bench too, even though that's probably not allowed. No, that's um, fine. I'll take it. Yeah. So I will go with Turner. In goal, uh, a diamond with Shalry Joseph playing as sort of the sweeper defender. Uh, Carlos Heel, Clint Dempsey, sort of as pinched in wingers. Okay. And Taylor Twelman up front as the lone striker. Now, I also will put, you know, on the bench, I have Matt Reese as my backup goalkeeper. Steve Ralston, Jermaine Jones. Um, and then, you know, where do you go from there? So many guys who, like, in terms of the overall all arc of their career or the peak of their career, you know, like I'd love to have Waldy Harris and uh, Charlie Davies as strikers as well. Um, you know, Michael Parkhurst is another player, Pat Noonan. Uh, there's been so many, you know, Joe Max Moore. Like, I could go on and on with the players who I really, really liked o- over the years. And I'm sure I'm leaving – some more of them out. But, yeah, I'll go Turner, Joseph, Heal, Dempsey, Twelman is my five. That's a very good five. I The only name I think I would have maybe thrown in there might have been Chris Tierney. Um, I've been a, He's one of my favorite revs of all time. Just that left foot coming in from left back is just – when he was striking the ball correctly, getting in those crosses, especially that season when he was one of the all-stars, it was just something special to so watch. So here's what I'll say. I love Chris Tierney. I used to watch him work on that left foot after training. Uh, I still yeah. you know, see him often because he's in the Revs front office, yeah. and I'm obviously around Foxborough a lot. A uh, lot of respect for Chris. But, um, you know, Chris was greater than the sum of his parts, and I think he'd be the first to admit it. He uh, didn't have the tremendous athletic ability or overall skill set or, or, or tool set. Uh, so as great as he was, and I think, you know, it was great to see him in the best 11. I don't think, it, you know, it's hard to find somebody that position is more deserving than him. If you're yeah. picking up, if you're picking a five, like, you know, I, I'm not sure that he belongs in the same categories as other four outfield players as a footballer, as oh, yeah, a yeah. dedicated pro and a club legend. Sure. You know, like th- that's a different, that's a different thing. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Tune in to the final whistle next week, and we'll check out some new episodes. But thank you, Brad. 
My pleasure, Ben. Good to talk to you.